I'm Simon Rimmer and this is Grilling, a podcast brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues, in which I grill world-renowned chefs about their love of cooking. We've had lots of fun so far, taking our guests back to where it all began for them in the kitchen and finding out what it is that continues to drive their passion for food. Now, hopefully, we've also given you a fair bit of practical advice as to how to improve your cooking indoors and outside on the barbecue. If the nights draw in, you can still cook on your barbecue. And we've heard from the likes of Nadia Hussain, Gok Wan and Rachel Koo. And if you didn't know already, we're giving away a top-of-the-range Weber barbecue in every single episode. So let's do it all again today by grilling the legend that is Mr. Ainsley Harrier. Ainsley's been a regular on our screen since the 90s with classic shows such as Can't Cook, Won't Cook and Ready Steady Cook as well as host of specials including Ainsley's Barbecue Bible. He's also a best-selling author that sold over 2 million books worldwide and apart from the fact that he's an Arsenal fan he also happens to be <laughs> one of the loveliest men in the business Ainsley, always a joy to see you. Simon, absolute pleasure to be here, mate. And uh, you can give me a good grilling anytime. (laughs) The thing is, when you came in this morning, you you blew me away. Because always, you know, we want to get to the heart of kind of what gets people ticking, really, when it comes to food. And you bought something with you. And I just want to start with that. You've got a beautiful old book in front of you. Tell us about that. Mm, I'm so thrilled to, to... be able to bring this into you actually because um, it's like one of those things you have as a child that sort of just starts to break away or break down and this is a book that my grandfather when he went to America in the 1930s and he cooked at the White House we've uh, we still to this day have been trying to find out the real connection because when um, Obama was in power uh, we always thought what a great program idea my grandfather was here and I've come back you know 70 years or whatever it is later to be able to cook at the White House and uh, didn't materialise. We didn't have enough information and I certainly won't be going back in the immediate future. <laughs> I'll probably be thrown out. <laughs> so what's in the book? Get Tell us about out that. of my White House. <laughs> um, this is a cookbook which is by, by Dr Chase that my grandfather C.T. Strudwick brought back to Jamaica, as I said, uh, probably in the late 30s, early 40s. And he put this in my mother's suitcase when she came to Britain. She came to live in Britain in the late uh, 1940s, after the Second World War. And my mother, and do you know what's really beautiful about this here, site? Look at that. It's my mother's writing. Oh, that's so uh, lovely. In in the book, this is some of her recipes and all the splashes and everything here. And it's fascinating. And it's not only a book. The the interesting thing about this is not only just a cookbook. It also explains about health things. So if you've got a bit of diarrhoea or you've got a bit of pneumonia or something, it tells you... Uh, Only you would pick that. (laughs) (laughs) As a complaint. If anything you could pick that's in that book, Ainsley says, <laughs> oh, well, diarrhoea. Well, this, this, <laughs> it was such a big thing in those days, and of course it's all there. But um, And what I love is when you flick through it, I always discover something new. And the most recent thing is we do forget that in those days there was no refrigeration. Yeah. So they tell you how to put bicarb of soda into water in order to keep your butter firm because you don't want your butter melting in the middle of the summer. You know, it's stuff like Beautiful. this. which is And great old recipes, different puddings, plum puddings and stuff like that. Just look at it. Look, at It's it, so delicate. It's so lovely. It's so beautiful. It's so brown. It's so old. It's so mem- memorable and treasurable. Uh, that, that's beautiful. And, uh, you know, and a really, really lovely start. I mean, you, we, we've, we've talked about your mum. Now, your, your mum 
massive, massive influence on you. So I suppose again, yeah, we, we've had a little bit on on the old grandfather stuff. So talk us through the the, the Ainsley family history and you know you growing up. I know, fascinating uh, history actually. I think with the uh, with the connection with food, it all came about because my dad was in show business. Came over, got a scholarship to the uh, to the Royal College of Music, I believe it was, and they only handed out about three of them annually um, worldwide. And he came to Britain to do music, to study music, discovering that I'm not earning any money doing this. I've got to get out there. So he started going to the clubs, started doing a bit of stuff. And the reason I mention it is to kind of create a picture in people's mind that suddenly having met my mum and these people then coming to our house, show busy, and we, we are kind of in that world. We're chefs, yeah. but the whole world of, you know, the, the whole collaboration of people coming together and ha, 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 and all that. And my mum would cook all this food. So the people would like uh, your Bob Monkhouse or your Michael Benteens and people like this. They, no. they'd, honestly, they'd come to my house and we had this Bluthner piano and I'd sit under the piano with my dad's piano that he'd practice and just observe all these people. And this is why, you know, people say, why have you got that kind of, that connection? You know, it's because I observed these people. That's what you do as a child, yeah. don't you? You just look at people and you kind of sponge it up, you soak it up. And I'm looking all around them and uh, my mum would bring in little bits of, pineapple under stick stuck in a grapefruit but instead of just ordinary pineapple she'd char it a little bit oh. uh, you know and those days yeah, you know yeah, having yeah. that imagination and so we had all those little bits and they'd always uh, her name was peppy or patrona and they oh pep that's lovely peppy oh that's gorgeous pep and for me seeing people's look on their face simon that's that's what we do when we cook yeah. you put your food down most people only get it from a few friends or especially when you put it in front of your kids and you see their face, oh, this is great, Mum, this is great, Dad, or, you know, this is really lovely. That's, I was just looking at these people and think, oh, they think it's fantastic. I want to do that. I could cook something, give it to someone, and they're going to love me for it. it it's, almost like, it's almost like it was obvious that this is what you do. Did you perform as well then? When you, when you were a little kid, because I've got to be honest, Dan, I've known you a long time. I can't imagine even at the age of, say, six or seven sort of under a piano that you weren't a show-off. Mm, I know, exactly. I'm still trying to come out of myself. It's hard. <laughs> no, it's hard. Don't laugh. It's hard. The <laughs> thing about it is I think that uh, being the youngest of three, it seems to kind of happen quite a bit, and the, the youngest seems to be attracted to the youngest it's a weird thing uh -huh. quite a few of my friends are being the youngest and uh, in line and uh, my first uh, well the only time I've been married to Claire she was the youngest and there was an attraction uh -huh. and we had something in common um, so there was a real connection there but I think the I think the show-off thing was I, I wanted to be loved yeah I think because when you are the youngest in, in the family you know there's less pictures of you than anywhere when it, you know so the true. first one gets all the pictures and everything else so you just wanted to stand out. You wanted to do something. If I did a play at school, a school play or something like that, I wanted to part. I wanted to be able to do something that people said, "Oh, that was good." Yeah. And you know, it doesn't matter whether you transfer that over to something you're building. If you're a car mechanic or like I am a chef, it's being able to sort of put something, give something to someone, and say it's good. That's why your standards are so, so high. So, as, as the youngest, then, so what's the gap between you and the, and the two siblings? Oh, only uh, well, there's uh, my sister Jacqueline is, uh, ooh, uh, what four years older than me. Okay. She's, she's retired, so, so she's, she's in late twenties now. Then, oh yeah, <laughs> oh you're a lovely man. You're a lovely man. It's the Camay. Do you remember that? <laughs> um, it's uh, yeah, she's a retired school teacher now. She's been retired for I don't know six, seven years and uh 
her big passion was traveling she can't do that anymore obviously because of uh you know the what we're in the whole covid situation um my brother is only what couple of years older than me Uh still tells me what to do no you should do this and you should do that you know and bless my darling sister if she ever comes to one of my food shows or anything else there um you haven't done that right you should have done this they tell you what to do the whole time i love that you know because i I think one of the things that's kind of quite important is people can listen to this because you are indefinable when it comes to age i mean i you know i always think that i don't look bad mates i'm 57 now but you're Mm. 63 that's right yeah and mate, you are wearing so well. Oh, thank I you. I mean, you are. Yeah. You know, you you haven't aged. All the years that I've known you, you're yeah. still a, a, the same kind of person. So I think almost like the stories that we're telling, these are kind of like late sixties, early seventies stories. Mm-hmm. You know, these aren't stories from sort of the nineties. So no. that whole thing of having showbiz people round to your house and your mum charring pineapple. Okay, yeah, okay. But then that's a very very different upbringing to what. I'd say most working class kids would have had. Mm. So you were in a very, very, very Select. exciting world. I mean, mm. what, what happened at school? Would people almost sort of disbelieve the stories you would you would roll up with in the morning? Not really. Um, it's quite interesting because it it wasn't only the entertainment world; it was the cricketing world too. Okay. Because there was, uh, you know, we knew a lot of cricketers, and I think it's because of where you come from, where your roots come from, back home in Jamaica, and. Uh, the people who my perhaps my grandfather knew or uh, certainly the extension of the Strudwick family who they knew and so when the cricketers would come and tour here in the 60s and stuff like that some of them would come to the house and come and hang out you know what I mean and uh, it was it was just normal yeah. for us kids and because of dad being involved in show business there was a few bob around, so there's always food on the table. There was always someone knocked on the door, come and join us. We know what it was like then. You grew up, you're not that far away from me. And when it was tea time, often it's all time for you to go home now, young man. Yeah. You know, we're having our supper. And some of my mates I'd go to, it would be tea time, and there'd be one sandwich on a plate, a piece of fruit, a bit of cake, and a cup of tea. Yeah. And that was it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was, and I had, I respected that, but, it, you know, in our house, it was just my mum, the whole food was on the table. And it was always about encouraging people to sort of uh, be part of the uh, the dining, the, the, the Harriet household. It was a very free. It's, fu- it's it. funny because I, I, I kind of feel similar, but in a different way, about my upbringing. My mum was always insistent that we always dine together. So my dad at one point was working, not away away, but he had quite a journey back from work. Mm. And so we're like, you know, normally when you're a kid, you know, you're having your tea about five o'clock. We quite often wouldn't eat until seven till my dad came in because yeah. my mum wanted us to kind of dine eat together. together. Yeah. And I think that that's always been instilled in my mind. Mm. And that whole thing, that, that joyous thing of celebrating food together. Yeah. I think, again, that whole thing about kind of being a chef and, 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 and looking after people, it almost breeds hospitality in your head. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I think so. And it wasn't forever, uh, Simon, to be honest. You know, my parents did split up. I think my mother, uh, interesting when I hear you talk about your dad coming home, I think that's ideally what most people, especially women of that generation, would have wanted it because they were more or less homebound yeah and i think that uh she would have loved a nine to five husband wasn't to be my dad was in show business the lights obviously dazzled him a little bit and you know the marriage broke down uh which was sad but uh, i think as as a child you don't know sadness you know i yeah. often say with children we only know what's in front of us you know there's no history your life we, is your life your isn't life it? is yeah. your life and it's just you just get on with it and um 
as I say, being the youngest, we mum, the incredible woman that she was, it never stopped. Aunts and uncles and people came to stay and influential people. We had uh, Mr. Andy, who got knighted by the Queen, yeah. um, come and stay with us. And he ran the house for three years that he, he was here doing some studying something like a military. Saturday morning, he'd blow the whistle. <laughs> can't even whistle now. <laughs> whistle, Felisa. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we can't even whistle. Old men would drive. I know, I know exactly. <laughs> glass of water. And we'd line up, and you got uh, me, my brother, and sister. You got sixpence pocket money. If you hadn't wet the bed all week, there was an additional sixpence. <laughs> Being right, you were 17 at this point. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know? You were there, weren't you? And, uh, and there was another sixpence for the one person or whoever it was out of the three of us, helped my mum around the house the most, i.e. Wow. getting a bit of cleaning done, getting, you could get one and six. Yeah. You know, it was only a couple of, couple of pence for chips yeah. and pork scratchings or, or you know, scratchings <laughs> from, the, from the fish and chip shop. And um, it was great because it was a discipline and I've carried that over now about having your shoes really cleaned, having a seam when you came home from school, hanging your trousers up so you had a seam. It was all a bit boring, all a bit military, yeah, but all it's a bit not, conditioning. It, but, you know. I, I, because I think, I think it's, it's, it's formulaic, isn't it? I think that then it shapes what you are. You know, some of the other guests that we've had on the podcast, you find those moments in life that are trigger points that almost sort of shape the way that you are as a human being mm. whether it be that you go okay I kind of I can't get that out of my head because that's how I'm or you go I didn't want that so I kind of rebelled against it so so from a kid so what happened then so you finished school what's next yeah what next well um I was at school and then I went off to uh my friend Charles invited me to France because he was doing, you know, people used to write to each other, pen pals. Yeah, yeah. And he had a pen, a pen pal called Pascal, whose uh, father was a detective, and they had this beautiful house in Ile-de-Ray in France. Used to have to get there, there by boat in the old days. Now there's a bridge, so it's kind of changed, but it was a really nice, exclusive place near, just outside of Paris that you'd go, not just outside, a bit of a way. Went there for this holiday, uh, six-week holiday. So, uh, How well, old are you then? 16, oh, 17? Yeah, 16. Yeah, 16, I think, yeah, we, we I was, because I just finished the uh, CSEs and all that. Yeah. And then um, <laughs> he was going off seeing the countryside with Pascal, discovering, you know, the past. And I would sit there with his mum. We were there for the, the summer. I'd be there with his mum going shopping. We'd go to the market. And this woman cooked like you'd never seen any. My mum was a fantastic cook, but I'd never, the, the day-to-day process before, you know, when you're at home with your mum, you just come, the food's ready. On a weekend, you might see her marinade something on a Friday or Saturday for the Sunday. This one was, we were going to the market. We are picking up fresh food and wow. fish and everything else and the way she smelled it and she put it under my nose and I was discovering all these new things and then, Wait, you know. Did you do a bit of cooking by that point? You know, yeah. did you, did you, did you, did you cook with your mum or, or, yes. or kind of watch your mum kind of do? Yeah, definitely cook with cooked it. with my mum yeah. a lot and Quite happy to entertain my friends. I love Paul Salmon, Mick Noble. All my mates would come over. I cook them uh, after football on a Saturday. I cook them a kind of a brunch or Brilliant. something like that. Yeah. So I was, I, I wanted to show off a little bit with them. You talk about that kind of showing off. Each time you, you did something like that, I'll oh, try this, mate. Oh, this is great, you know. Yeah. I remember Paul Salmon just um, having corn for the first. He never had corn, sweet corn before, you know. And he'd get, what is that? Is that yellow peas or something, you know? Yeah. Why are they that shape? And he'd, ah, oh, this is amazing, you know. Uh, avocado and stuff. People had never tried these things, yeah. you know. It was really, really interesting. So it was a real sort of journey. It was a real 
kind of experience. And uh, <clears throat> where was I? I'm digressing. So yeah, so, so you're in France. So yeah, you know, this, this amazing woman who's like putting yeah. ingredients under your nose, mm, and you get absolutely by having a fantastic time. Came back after spending a summer there and having the most amazing time. And Bertrand introduced me to wines, the um, the uh, son-in-law, and uh, Kilu the dog, who was just uh, just little things, little names, just kind of bring back those wonderful memories. Came back, went to uh, see my um, uh, master, my headmaster, Mr. King, told him what I wanted to do. He said, you're far too bright for that, Harriet. You don't need to go into the kitchen. I said, but I really want to cook. I said, I've just been cooking, and I think it'd be a great... I said, I thought education was all about, you know, finding something we wanted to do, because academia really wasn't my forte, so, you yeah. know, I didn't feel instantly comfortable. With I worked really, 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 really hard, and I got a B or a C, you know. Yeah. I was never going to be an A, 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 an a, a star, oh, you yeah. know, forget it. Went off to a careers officer, and he was quite uh, disapproving of me, Mr. King. Went off to see a careers officer in those days. It was in Charing Cross Road and talked about going into a hotel restaurant. Went to a few, all these hotels and stuff like that. Felt like nothing. Waited there. I felt like a number. Felt like I was just tossed away into a room. And then I went to a restaurant called Veres, V-E-R-R-E-Y-S, Veres Restaurant in and Regent Street. Right. Regent Street. Went at the back and they I got there just in time they just finished service and it was a little area like this with a round table dusty you know greasy kind of thing a couple of silver coffee pots on the table a few cups some of them a bit chipped big ashtray in the middle the guys all sitting around they what are you doing ah oh, you're gonna get slaughtered you shouldn't come in here mate you shouldn't come in here <laughs> they're in a fag and a cup of coffee instantly felt comfortable I didn't care <laughs> what <laughs> the chef offered me. I knew I was going to work in that place. I knew. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And the thing is, though, still now I know you. Cup yeah. of coffee to sing it. You're happy anyway. I know. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what? That, that's what it was. And everyone was giving it loads in those days. And um, went in, saw the chef. Fifteen pound a week. Part time day release. Going to college when you went to Westminster Catering College. Seventeen at the time. Just turned seventeen. And loved it. Worked wow. so many hours, I can't tell you. You know, we did split duty in that. In the afternoon, you'd go off for a couple of hours and walk around Soho. And, uh, and what kind of food was that? French cuisine. Right, OK. Oh, old, you know, French cuisine. I've still got the menus. I should have brought some of them in, oh, shouldn't wow. I? I've still got the... Vet- you know, uh, in those days, people said that uh, menus were only guides. If you walked into a proper restaurant, you could order anything you wanted. Yeah. Because, you know, the encyclopedia of knowledge was that great that you could literally have anything. And um, just loved it. So, and you had to go through, you know, the, uh, at the end of the service, you were scrubbing down the stoves. Yeah. You were polishing the copper pots with vinegar, salt and flour combined. None of your fancy chemicals. That was the yeah. that was it to buff up those pans, hang the back up again, ready to go for service. And, would yeah. it, and we talked a little bit before about kind of you know about discipline, about almost like a, a military discipline. So you, I mean, you must have found that not particularly difficult then. You no. know, having having had that in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And even now, you know, I'm 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 I get angry with myself sometimes because if I get people around and we're sitting around the table eating, I start clearing up yeah. after we as soon as I finish eating. I don't know, you do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, completely. Terrible. People yeah. don't, and it's almost like, sit down, what are you doing? I can't help it. Yeah, same. Packing away, right, everything cleared up, right, you ready for the next course? I can't help it. Yeah. And I'm really, I, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm having to sort of cross my legs and, you know, do I, something to avoid myself doing it. I can never go to bed 
unless I've done the dishes. Mm, absolutely. You know, okay, I might put, might put them in the dishwasher, but you know what I mean? I can't mm. leave a sink full of dishes, even mm. now. It doesn't, doesn't matter what. Even if I've had a few beers yeah. and, you know, I've had mates around yeah. uh, back in the old days when we could do that, then, you know, I still want to make sure that I'm going away with with a clean kitchen. Yeah. And I, I think that's a proper chef thing. I know, it? but yeah, you know, the dishwasher needs to be full, doesn't it? There's too many gaps in the dishwasher. Oh, no, I can fill that up a little bit oh, more. Yeah, 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 I don't yeah. want to waste anything. Uh, also, I can never remember stack stacking my dishwasher. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> Mate, that just kind of, well, you know. My boys recently moved back in and uh, with his girlfriend, which I'm more than happy with, but uh, God, they can't. Yeah. You put sieves and stuff like that and pots in the dishwasher and, uh, you know, big plates and small plates together. And I'm, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm having a bit of a panic attack just at this conversation. I know. Really. I turned into Muttley. You look and you go, where's the logic in your mind? What, at what point... <laughs> What point does a butter dish go there? Absolutely. How many times must oh. you incur my displeasure in such a manner? Just, Do you not realise? Absolute nonsense. Anyway, funnily enough, we're slightly digressing on that one. All right. So, so you were, How long did you work there for? And where did you where yeah. did you end up from in terms of position within the kitchen? Uh worked up to chef de partie. Okay. So I was uh, got there as the trainee, the commie, and then we had the pastry department and the uh, uh, you know vegetable. You know, we gamage, lardy. You know, you go, yeah. you go through the whole thing and then there was uh i tell you what one of the most significant things that ever happened to me we were in the uh banqueting suite next door there was the hanover banqueting suite next door literally uh, we went from one kitchen into another and they were doing these massive banquets and i'd go that's where you'd kind of earn a few bob you can get an extra two pound fifty uh-huh. just by going in there and helping and one of the reasons i mention it is because I, I was in there working one night and one of the waitresses came down very early on in my in, in my cooking career or just starting at Verries and she came down she went chef and I said what she's called me chef and it makes me a little bit emotional even now so I'm not not joking about it that was the one point when she turned around chef and I thought I'm chef I'm a chef she said chef we need one more vegetarian and it wasn't much it was this kind of aubergine tomato thing that I I had to go and get a portion I remember being really nervous getting it and putting it on the plate. But this woman called me chef. It was the first time I got an identity. Yeah. It was something that I'd chosen to do. And she said, chef, I need this. And I I was a nobody, but I was then given a responsibility. And that responsibility was to create something, put it onto a plate and give it to her for for whoever's waiting upstairs because she needed that. And all the others had gone off. They'd been, the other guys were down the back preparing the next course. Do you know what it's like? Finish that, move on. And I was just there, floating in the kitchen, probably cleaning down, as you do at that age, because that's your job. And I didn't hesitate. I didn't run off and get anybody. I took it on. And I remember Malcolm, Malcolm Cowan, my, my, my attorney, said, well done. He just pointed me like that. And it was the finger. He pointed me, well done. Because I got on with it. And that's what it's all about. It's having the initiative. I love that. It's I having that. the initiative. And it's, 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 it, what he was, it was a significant moment. And, and it's funny because, you know, on, on all of the podcasts that we've done so far, there are stories that everybody's told that have that effect. Like, I can see it on you now. I can mm, see the fact mm, that, you know, mm. your whole body language and mm. that whole kind of memory and mm. that sort of pride and emotion... And it, it is, it's a, it's a pivotal point, which, mm. you know, what so much of this is about is, you know, what are those kind of pivotal points in, in, in our, in in, our guests' yeah, lives, yeah, really? Yeah, that take us to the next one. level. So what, what happened after that? So you, how long were you there for? Yeah, I was there uh, three years, and then I went off. Malcolm, uh, my ex-boss, then went off to the Strand Palace Hotel. Uh-huh. And he phoned me up. He said, come and join me. 
And I said, well, well I don't know, because the Strand Palace was only three stars or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and uh, he said, no, come and join me. We're going to do something here. And I liked him. Yeah. You know, he allow, allowed me to express myself. You know, um, he gave me an opportunity. He promoted me from commie to chef de partie, or it was demi-chef de partie. And then I went to the Strand Palace Hotels as a chef de partie. I had my own department. Yeah. You know, I'd got on with the uh, poissonier. I was the fish yeah. getting it done and stuff like that. And um, and it was a £40.50 a week, Si. Big money. Yeah. Big, big money. Yeah. So I just thought, you know what, um, I'm going to have a go at this. And it was right next to Covent Garden, which I loved. Covent yeah. Garden was very trendy at that time. You know, the market had just sort of closed down. They'd built up this um, new area, fancy shops, um, lots of entertainment, which I took part in later on, street performer, uh, which I loved. And uh, double talk about double bubble. You know, I went up there and performed with my mate Charles, him playing the guitar and me a few percussion instruments. And... I've got the same amount of money that for it half an hour that I work <laughs> 60 hours a week for in the kitchen, but loved it. And um, so I stayed there for, uh, God, I was there for about three years again. And then my uh, friend, I think Richard, that's it, my friend Richard Goodwin said to me, fancy driving across America. <laughs> and I went, yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and the idea of me thinking, I don't know if I'm going to get be able so, to do where this Where are you again. now than age was, sort of mid-twenties? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was 24. Okay. Yeah. And I just thought, wow, drive across the States. And he'd uh, bought this. He'd done the same thing with his girlfriend, drive, drove from LA all the way down to uh, Arkansas, went all the way down to, down to the south yeah. of, of America. And he bought a Jeep on the way. And he said, I want to drive back that Jeep. Come and help me. And we went and we drove right across the states. So what? So what was your, what was your route then? So uh, all through we went. Oh, we started off. We went to Arkansas was where, Little Rock. I remember going to Little Rock where I think Clinton came from. Little yeah. Rock. So all down that south side, we went. I've got the most fantastic pictures at home. Song the um, painted desert. Yeah. All through there, all the way up. How long? How long was the journey? Oh, a couple of weeks. Right. Wow. A couple of weeks. He wanted to get back because his girlfriend Linda lived in LA, and uh, you know. Obviously, just wanted to get back and see his girlfriend when you're a young man like that. But I tell you what, the journey it wasn't just, it was the experience that we have and get, going along, listening to the car radio, these straight roads and, and smoking what about food cigarettes. Then? What about food, food when you were there? Food, Anyth- anything yeah. in particular? Because I, nothing, I'm nothing. sort of thinking that that time, that part of the world, again, I'm making a sweeping generalization. I'm imagining kind of diners and burgers and that not. It's exactly yeah. the most wonderful tasting food that we'd ever had with yeah. diners and burgers. And I loved it. I loved stopping off and uh, at these places and getting a breakfast with a sausage patty and an egg in it or something like yeah. that. You know, they're doing it here now, some of the big companies. But, you know, then it was just fantastic. Yeah. It was the fact that we could stop off and have a few beers and pop into different places and uh as I said, I've just got these amazing pictures of us driving across America and uh there's not much to see in between quite frankly very very little yeah. to see lots and lots of straight roads but you stop off at different places I do remember when we were down in Athens Georgia 
where his dad came from, hence why Richard was able to go back, my old schoolmate was able to go back to yeah. America because his dad was American, and not, this was the 80s, and not being able to play tennis. No blacks allowed. Well, I was no going to say to allowed. you, that, that, that part of the world back in the 80s, even in a two-week period, still you must out. have seen a very, I mean, don't get wrong, you know, there, there was still, still is plenty of inherent racism in the UK, but back in the 80s, going to the southern United States as a, as a black Brit... Mm. You must have come across on a, an hourly basis. Mm, mm. Well, I've, uh, I could tell you some um, amazing stories. We know about the N-word. Well, the amount of times I heard that I've never heard a talk so fancy. I mean, wow. the amount of times that I heard that when I was down there. And we do put it on. I mean, if you go to the States yeah, now, yeah. you're going to, you're gonna, you know, we, all, we have all done this. You, you want to be even more English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to kind of, you know, broadcast the fact that I'm, I'm, I'm British. Yeah. And so I'd say, hello, good afternoon. And I'd say like that, oh, my God, I'd never heard it. Talk yeah. so fancy. Yeah. You know, and they, they, they kind of slipped that in all the time. And it was, it was like they just, I, I don't know, case not, not knowing. But, um, you know, as I said, we had this real problem just, we just want to play tennis. Yeah. Can't play here. And in the end, we had to play down at the Naval and Military Club. Wow. Because that was the only place. We couldn't go to a local park. I remember going into a restaurant and a uh, black uh, lady was behind the counter. And my friends were in front of me who were both white. And I stood there because I hadn't made up my mind. I was quite interested in these collar greens and all uh -huh. this type of stuff on the menu thinking this is fantastic stuff i read about or stuff i heard about in movies and thinking oh yeah i want to try that that, that, that that's really interesting and i said could i try this and she just look at me and she wouldn't serve me and it wasn't until the cashier the white cashier turned around and said okay honey he's with these folks she wouldn't have served wow. me she, and then I, I also remember uh, the restaurant going into the toilet. And I don't, I don't know if you remember in the old days in the States, the cubicles weren't separated. They were, but they were very low yeah, level. Yeah. So yeah. you could see people. And this man, and I'd never seen anything like that before. Yeah. And I remember going into the, the loo and this guy was big cigar, newspaper sitting on the loo. <laughs> And I, it, can you imagine it? It's, like, it's funny. <laughs> so you look in and you walk in and you're half smiling. And he asked me, again, the N-word, what are you looking at, boy? And I said, I don't really know. <laughs> I, said, I do forgive me. I said, I just, I'm just not used to this. And I uh, went back, told my friend Richard his, uh, and his uh, mum, Anne, was there too. I remember Anne. Yeah. Anne came for a while, yeah. And... Um, uh, the woman, uh, he came out, and said something, and the waitress came over, who originally refused to serve me. She said, I think you all better shift out of town pretty quick, she said, because Mr. So-and-so, he, 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 he mighty angry, the way she said it like wow, that. Wow, wow, wow. I just thought, what? I thought, what? I just, I, I just, I, I just, this, this, you know. Yeah. And my friend Richard was there, and they, you know, he was just, he said, what's going on? And he said, uh, my dad's told me about this, his dad down there. Yeah, yeah. The people can be a little bit nasty. Let's just go. Let's just go. And so, you know, I've I, you had to experience stuff like that all along the way. Yeah. There was different things happening. Um, but the food was good there. <laughs> I mean, the fried chicken was bloody excellent. <laughs> well, well, from sort of a, a serious note, also, let, let's leap forward. Yeah. So, obviously... I remember seeing you very early doors on Ready Teddy Cook. How did the break into telly happen? Right, break into telly, move forward. In between uh, going from one place, then going on to the Westbury Hotel after and working there. And then many years later, I was doing some work for on one of those branded uh, companies. Mm -hmm. 
with the cooker. They had a brand new cooker out there and I was doing some work for them. And at the same time, my agent, uh, Jeremy, and I thought he, you know, doing flittering in and out, little bits of jobs here and there, but no, no, no big TV breaks or anything. And so had you made a decision, though, Ian, to sort of, because, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned about being a street performer. Mm. Had you made a decision that, you know what, I'd quite like to have a little try at this in some way? Yeah, I wasn't really sure. And then before telly became, came radio, and I was working at Lord's Cricket Ground, and a friend of mine called Rick Jones, who was a freelance journalist, mm-hmm. used to write for the Evening Standard. We were playing cricket once. We had a cricket match. You know what cricket's like? It's very sociable. You sit down. It's not like football. You're at the goal all the time. Yeah, yeah. When, you're, when you're batting, someone's out there. You're sitting down. You're having a bit of chat, score, doing, doing yeah. the, the book, score. And he's talking. He said, so uh, what's your life like then? And I said, oh, I told him about my grandfather cooking at the White House. I told him how, you know, uh, how much I loved the food and my cousin, um, oh, that's another thing I hadn't mentioned to you and talked about cricket. My cousin, Geoffrey Dijon, uh-huh. uh, was the wicketkeeper for the West Indies. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, a second cousin, but you just say cousin. Yeah, yeah, you? absolutely. You right. don't yeah, dilute yeah, yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. black people are like, yes, but yes, he was my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and um, he said, what? And I said, yeah, 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 yeah. And I started uh, talking to him about my passion for food and everything yeah. else. And uh he said, that would just make a fantastic article. And I, I said I worked at Lord's Cricket Ground, yeah. and I was in the long room, and I used to run the long room. When the cricket matches were on, far and few between, let's be honest, yeah. Middlesex were doing particularly well. They might have a big crowd on a Sunday for, for 40 over cricket or whatever it was. But generally, you know, it's quite, quite compact. Anyway, uh, cut long story short. Wrote this article in Time Out magazine. A BBC radio producer called Claire Shonker read it, contacted me, and said, I'd love to do a radio programme with you which we did, called More Nosh, Less Dosh. That was fabulous. And then we got nominated for the Glenfiddich and Sony Award. People wow. loved it because it was really, it was about getting out there, finding out about new foods, what was happening, um, helping people who were on, who'd just come to this country. Like I might be interviewing someone from Kosovo or something like that who'd left their family behind. What brings them together? The food, food that we cooked at home. And they could invite their friends around. And then I'd look at just lots of different things, just to kind yeah. of, you know, help people along. And uh, it was highly uh, commended and people just kind of liked yeah. it. And then after that, as I said, I was working for one of these branded companies, uh, cooker companies. And uh, uh, Linda Clifford, a producer who had just been given the green light to make Ready Steady Cook. Yeah. Uh, they'd never done anything like this before. And uh, i never forget, forget Fern Britton telling that story when someone phoned her up. She said, oh, I've just signed up to present a new programme called Ready Steady Cook. It'll only run for two or three weeks. 21 years wow. later. Well, I, 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 yeah, she did it for seven years, then I took over presenting it. But it was just phenomenal. It was the, it was the start of the whole food revolution in this country. And, uh, you know, this programme that was brought in to fit in between, I think, Esther Ranson. Today's the day and Esther Ranson came on afterwards and they wanted a little programme in between half an hour to just kind of keep, and it just took off. Yeah. And my career took off as a result of that. I did Good Morning Anne and Nick, which I loved. And can you imagine being thrown in the deep end doing a live show for your very first gig doing a live show? And my very first, I burnt Anne Diamond's hand. I heated up my pan (laughs) so hot so I could sear something quickly in the pan. She came and said, oh, they're she burnt her head. Oh, I'm going to get sacked. So my no, career's no. over. No. But ready, steady. And the the original 
group of you, you know, yourself and Phil Vickery and Leslie and Paul Rankin, Brian, Brian Turner, I mean, you were, Tony yeah. Tobin. I mean, you, you, you were rock and roll stars. I mean, mm. you guys were I know. hot property because mm. people love that show so much. Like you said, no one had seen anything like that before. And I think also it captured the creative process yeah, that absolutely. chefs have. Yeah. And I think that everyone said, wow, that, that's amazing, seeing how doing things in real time would turn out kind of good food. That is the key. It was real-time cooking, 20 minutes. People questioned it. I remember a lot of the uh, press guys coming along, hit hiding in the audience, thinking um, nah, that they don't really do it because they wanted to catch us out. Yeah. There was no catch out. Yeah. It was done in real time and it was, people loved it and the audience loved it too. <gasps> and the intensity of it, oh, one minute to go. Well, yeah, I mean, you were. And the thing is as well, whilst you were all good mates, there was no let upon the intensity of that. Oh. You guys were properly competitive. Because oh, really? I remember I used to do a, a show when it used to film Michael Wandsworth. Mm. And I used to do a show next door. Mm. I remember standing at the back and watching an episode of thinking, wow, these guys, they mean it. Mm. You know, whilst mm. they're having loads of fun. You see that thing that we all have as chefs, you all go right. like, I am not getting beaten. I know, I know. You know, I am really, really not getting beaten. And I, beaten. I still hold the record. Do you? I think, yeah, 24 unbeaten. Um, I think Phil Vickery's 17. I think uh, James Martin, 17 or 18. But I still hold the record. See, <laughs> there's there's the petty nature of chef. Oh, <laughs> dead rotten <laughs> kitchen now. Right. Well, so listen, I mean that that that's kind of a good basis. Then we yeah. all know kind of from there. You know, you you, you become a household name. You, you're incredibly versatile. Like me, you did Strictly as well, <laughs> which is it, which is a great thing to do. Fantastic. But it's hard, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, I, and nobody can imagine how disciplined you have to be. And I always felt Simon that I was quite a free and easy dancer. I could get on, you know, bust a move on the old dance floor, do a bit of the old John Travolta or whatever it is. But suddenly, when you're having to do something that are repetitively again and again and again yeah. and again, and the joints, and uh, of course, everybody knows as soon as uh, I finished the Strictly tour, I then went in and had my other hip replaced. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was, people don't realise the bit, you know, all right, for a three months' work, then you get a new hip. <laughs> right, we're going to go into into our into our chef challenge. Okay, so darling. every week, uh, we, our chefs are taking up our recipe challenge. Yeah. And, and what you get, Ainge, you've got 45 seconds to sell me a simple dish that you make while entertaining your family and friends this autumn and winter. The one thing it has to be, it has to be cooking outdoors on a barbecue. And the rules are you can have any cut of meat, fish or veg. You've also got to prepare a marinade or a rub. You've got to have a sauce and a cold side Ooh, dish. Wow, right? Wow, wow, uh, wow, and wow, and wow. the thing is, yeah. it's... Hold on, let me... I need to get a, I need to get a clock on this. OK. It's not as easy as sound. I mean, there's been some successes and some failures. Mm. You only have 45 seconds. I'll okay, give you some pointers. So I need... When I say go, Ains, I need the title and then sell it to me in mm. your own inimitable style. Are you ready? Yes. OK, three... Two, one, go. Who could beat a bit of jerk chicken under barbecue? Take an onion, take a couple of scotch bonnet papers, a bit of ginger, and literally grate it down, bit of uh, a bit of turmeric that's going to be about the size of your finger. Then I want you to add equal quantities, a little bit of spice too, a little bit of allspice there, a little bit of fresh thyme, add a little bit of equal quantities of soy and white wine vinegar. Let that, blitz that together, pour that over your chicken, cook that slowly. Then I want you to heat a bit of oil, put some mustard seed in there, and uh, let that pop a little bit a little bit of cumin seed in there and then when you when you finish doing that you can put great your carrot 10 seconds um, great your carrot pour that over the top of it squeeze some lemon juice you've got a perfect turn over your barbecue your meat is cooked and you serve that with your carrot cumin and lemon salad done yeah
possibly the best one so far. <laughs> Mate, that was absolutely <laughs> out of this world. And, and only you can can sell it. Like, it, like, like it's like it's a bedtime porn story. Oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. God. I, I'm thrown in the deep end. I didn't expect that. That was like, wow, wow. All so, right so, because you did but, the barbecue Bible. I mean, you know, it. yeah. yeah. And I, I remember being very envious. Where did you film that? Because every time I turned on the telly and saw it, you were somewhere beautiful, wearing mm. like a really nice shirt looking very very chilled and I'd be sitting there thinking right I've just done a 15 hour shift in the restaurant and this bugger is yeah, kind of sitting there I know, living exactly the dream inspiring you but thinking I want one of those things to drink yeah. uh, in the early days uh, Jamaica I remember going to Thailand I remember going to South Africa where else did we go I think we did I'm sure we did Greece yeah I think we did some Greek that's right because I did that lovely wedding uh, in, and I made that barbecue uh, dish for the bride and groom yeah. so that was phenomenal and that was in the 90s and late 90s and of course after that I went to America I had my own show in America for a uh, for the series on NBC in the morning oh, it was a live yeah. show which yeah. was brilliant and you know one week you were interviewing Danny DeVito then some... I might have to come back to that you know yeah. the, the, the American show I'd completely forgotten mm. about that yeah. there's, a, there's a story someone told me about, which we'll come back to in the setting off the show um, so just on the on the back end obviously now we've done a little um, test for you um, every episode of this we give away a Genesis 2 gas barbecue and Weber Connect smart grilling up in every single episode so Genesis 2 is a premium gas barbecue that makes it easy to get great tasting food and then the smart grilling hub is an accessory which connects to your phone via an app it guides you step by step through preparing and cooking even telling you when to flip your food and in fact I, I tried it out I mean my kids both kind of cook but doing it with them and they're saying like flip over now is brilliant and it also has, tells you things like you've got 45 minutes to relax which I really like <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. a serious serious come on love let's, let's just take the dog for a walk exactly yeah, I've yeah, got 37 yeah. minutes yeah, exactly so if you want to win in and try Ainsley's recipe on it here's your chance all you have to do is head to weber.com forward slash grilling that's weber.com forward slash grilling where you'll be able to find the terms and conditions and the closing date for entries and the competition is open to UK residents only the Weber website also a great place to find a host of tips for barbecuing in all weathers and seasons and a fantastic range of recipes like we've got smoked beer chicken with black and Cajun spices something you might like that Ainsley, jerk actually. chicken alright so um, let, let's go jerk chicken <laughs> <laughs> let's go in, into chicken. into into the into the next part of the show. But, you know, actually, let's let's do the American thing. I, I've got to tell you this story. So when um when you were doing the American show, I mean you got a year's contract to mm. present in the states. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Um, it was uh, oh, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Merv Griffin, who was anybody who is uh, probably in their fifties now. It might the name might resonate with them. Uh, Merv Griffin was the uh, Russell Harty, if you like, of uh, uh, of America in terms of chat shows. Very outgoing, and uh, he just had he had a big, big following. And he came over here, and I'll never forget, he was staying at the Dorchester Hotel, and he saw me do Can't Cook, Won't Cook. Uh -huh. He said, I like that guy. Next thing, my agent gets a call, and we get flown out to L.A. to meet Merv Griffin on his boat which he'd bought from Alan Sugar. <laughs> so yeah. Alan Sugar, it was so Alan Sugar's boat. Yeah. And it had it, uh, never forget this, he said, I bought this from uh, Large Sugar or something. It was the way he was talking yeah. about it. And it was, had a cinema in it. And we thought, wow, this is unbelievable. And um, he said he had the idea of me doing a show in America. Wow. And 
it was a year later or something like that. It took a long time for the whole process to go through, who we would be with, because I signed up with Buena Vista and then I got a gig on NBC and Buena Vista owned ABC. So that in itself was a bit like a bit conflicting interest, if you like. Yeah. And my show started very difficult. So I, um, many nights I went to bed crying. Let's be, I'll be really honest with you. Yeah. No family, couldn't find schools. You know, people think, oh, I'll just move to America yeah. and take my, my kids. So where were you living? LA? New York. New York, okay. New York. Right. So we had to do it out of New York. But my family weren't with me. Yeah. My kids weren't with me, which meant everything to me. But I thought, I'll have a go at this. We'll see how it goes for a yeah. while, you know. And and then later on, we could bring bring the kids out. But it's so difficult, especially in those places to, you know, they say, oh, you could have home tuition. No, if your kids are going to get involved in something, yeah, you've got to want a life. Yeah, yeah, you want a life. And uh, in those days, the uh, missus would come out and... Um, you know, she wanted to go sightseeing. <laughs> I just wanted to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'd been there all by myself and I'm thinking, ah, yeah. oh, let's go and see the sights, darling. And I went, yeah. <laughs> anyway. <yeah. laughs> this, this, suddenly this interview is taking a, a, a little a little X-rated turn. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, what a, I've seen the sights. It, I've took, seen... it also took me a couple of minutes to kind of realise what you were saying there. I talked to you and I think, oh, it's just been really... T- oh, I see yeah, what oh, you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've seen the Empire State, love. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, how about my Statue of Liberty? I know, I know, yeah, I know yeah, 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 Whatever's your preference. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I, I, I loved it, but at times I said it was, it was a bit down. But uh, you know, one minute you uh, you were there, you were interviewing, as I say, Danny DeVito. It could, I mean, literally. So what was the format? Of it? it was a chat show on the cooking show, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a chat show in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah, and I've still got all these stools at home. I've still got all these plaques at home of the great show, uh, you know, where things happen in the kitchen, you know, the Ainsley Harriet show. Welcome back, the Ainsley Harriet show. And the amount of makeup. There'd be an hour putting on makeup. In those days, it was serious, serious makeup. Just getting there at six o'clock in the morning, and I had an apartment overlooking the overlooking the the lake in front of me i was down by the meatpacking district oh wow which and, which is uh, just starting to take off yeah it's taking yeah. off i mean so her house and all that's yeah, down yeah, there yeah. now very very cool and i used to go to a bar full of trannies used to stand outside hello mr cook man <laughs> they used to call me the cook man and i'd go in i never forget this bar across the road and i remember paul mccartney was in there one night playing on the bar standing up on the bar plant having a wow. jam session everybody having a fan fantastic time and um it was a really really cool place it was the secret place to hang out yeah. you know and i really loved it knew everybody in my neighborhood and i'd go and get my nails done you know what chefs are like when you yeah. have the right nails for tv so they don't look all grotty and yeah. all that's lovely and this uh, lovely lady used to do it and I just had a great time I had a fantastic time and how time. long did it run were you there for a year it was just a year and yeah. then it, was, it wasn't even that it wasn't even the complete season we did 108 or 110 programmes wow and then and then it got to the point where uh, NBC wanted to continue but I was contracted to Buena Vista who right, owned okay. ABC and because uh, Rosie O'Donnell, who was at the, on at the same time as me had taken a couple of hits uh-huh. whilst I was on they saying why are we yeah, having this guy. Silly from ourselves almost. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We should be doing something. And I couldn't take her slot. And after her slot came the great Oprah Winfrey. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That was, so it was... It so were was, you quite relieved though? I mean, I know, I know that you loved oh, it over there, but were you, were you ready to come home? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you know, that that word relieved just, just hits with me, you know. And I remember getting a call. I, th- I You know, I spoke with Linda, uh, Linda Clifford I'm talking about, I spoke with my agent and who spoke with Linda and basically they just said that 
Fern is leaving, Fern is stepping down, Fern Britain, the great Fern Britain is stepping down because I learned so much from Fern. We yeah. don't realise when you look at presenter, you, you look at links, you look how people bring things together. It takes years that. You know? Yeah, she's years. a tremendous, tremendous oh, presenter. And I came back and took over Ready Steady Cook and it wasn't only just taking over Ready Steady Cook, it was Ready Steady Cook prime time too yeah. that we used to do in between the football. So it was quite something and it was uh, it was fantastic to do, a bit nerve-wracking at times, especially when it came to the auto-cue thing because I'm very much spontaneous. And yeah. When you've got that auto-cue and it's very structured, you've got a big audience and it's there. I probably didn't realise my eyesight was going at the time. So you're looking <laughs> at it thinking, can't read this very well, it's moving a bit quick, just your eyes... <laughs> <laughs> Your eyes are going. And I told you what I did the other day, so I was putting eye drops into my eyes, and I put it like that, and I still had my glasses on. So no, <laughs> what is going no, on here? No. No, if it, 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 the shortlist has said, like, you know, having to qualify all day in well, there you go, he's just qualifying. Oh, no, I'm sorry, guys, I'm sorry. <laughs> all right, so there's two things I want to do before we finish. One is food. When it comes to kind of cooking, what, what's, ex- what's exciting you at the moment? What do you find, that, that what flavours and techniques are getting you going at the moment? I, I kind of like the idea of uh, doing a lot more roasting off of things, you know, for instance, and Hey, my son there, he might leave an aubergine or a courgette. Yeah, I'd, I'd roast those off, a bit of butternut squash. And I love the idea of cooking things down with, you know, that combination of, uh, I love a bit of coconut milk cooking stuff, you uh-huh. know, and just roasting stuff so you get that kind of roasty flavour and just putting it in there. Simple with basmati rice. Sometimes it's a bit of fish. Stuff like that that I could just put in, chop up and put in and, and throw on. You know, I'm not looking at intricate pictures on uh, you're driven by taste yeah yeah i i I don't want sort of you know too too much pretty prettiness on the on the uh plate anymore i just want i want lovely big flavors and uh being able to experiment when i see my son cook now with his girlfriend they've got a bit of a black quinoa going there and they're cooking it down and dicing up a bit you know we never thought about these type of things before no and it's really nice i've got a plate of that for your dad yeah and it almost looks a bit sloppy but that's where food's going you know yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's got a very casualness to it and uh which i really love i still love me big flavors i still love a roast on a Sunday, you know, if the opportunity presents itself. But, but you're also very thorough because um, Claire Bassano, who is one of the home economists that mm. I work with, I know you work with too, yeah. she's just in a series with you. Yeah. And when you were away together and she was saying how incredibly thorough you are, mm. that, you know, because I think people... I, I think today pe- people have heard, you know, the, the fact that you do have kind of a really good history in terms of food. But I think sometimes because of the nature of you, because you make things very kind of laid back and chill, people don't realise the level of professionalism and, and detail mm-hmm. that you go into. I think there's a, there's a lot of misconceptions about you. Mm-hmm. I think you're always going to have a, a bit of that, though, Simon. I think it's it's uh, sometimes a lot of people when they doing a job, they say, that's the job that I do. You can't do... The- both yeah so the fact that i've combined the entertainment with the cooking how can you do both this is serious yeah and i've always want to laugh and i always felt that if you're relaxed in the kitchen then you can see it in the food it comes out in the food you know cooking is a it's an art of you know just that's why you all talked about your mum your mum's cooking for her loved ones that's why it's so it's got that specialness attached to it and uh but in order to do anything on screen You've got to have all of those things in place first. Yeah. 
and then you can sort of say, now I can have a bit of fun with you because it's all there. I made sure yeah. that it's there and I can get that message across. Yeah. OK, so uh, the next part, oh, I don't know which way around to do this. No, I'm, right. I'm going to I'm gonna do it this way. Every week um, we, we, we do a little hiddle gem mm. on the uh, on our podcast. And what we want to know is a place that you would revisit time and time again. It can be anywhere in the world. But what we don't want is I don't want a snazzy restaurant. I want anything that is about somewhere that is almost your little secret it's, it's, it's exactly that it's your hidden gem so Nadia chose a wrap shop in Leeds Market mm. Gok had a Hong Kong diner in Chinatown by way of an example so Ange where are you going to take our listeners to I'm uh, I'm going to take our listeners to Cafe Fleur which is local in Wandsworth and it's a cafe that I go to run by a girl called Lucy who is just lovely and I've kind of grown with her over the wouldn't surprise me if it's uh, 10 years, seeing her now married and having a little baby. And what do you have? What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the dish or what are the dishes Ooh. that you come back to? Oh, I, I think there's a uh, chili avo that they do down there, which nice. is a uh, chili avo on toast. And then you could have a poached egg and the way it's done in a kind of rustic sort of quacamole style. Poached eggs sitting on the top, a little bit of chili. You can have a couple of slices of bacon on the side if you want. So loads of vegetarian options. It's quite like a trendy calf. Cool. It's a trendy, cool Obviously, calf. Obviously, I wouldn't expect it's, anything less I know, of you. But I don't mind a greasy spoon, but this is where I like to go because I like the quality of the bacon that doesn't sizzle too much because yeah, there's yeah. not that much water in it. Quality sausages, if you want to go down that route. A good coffee. And she also, uh, she bakes, she home bakes a bit of lemon drizzle cake. And oh, nice. It's just little things like I'm that. I'm yeah. I know, when you can just buy it and individually wrapped up now because of the, uh, you know, with all the COVID stuff yeah. going on. It's all packaged up beautifully. And you get home and you break it up and you have a coffee with it. It's just really, really lovely. Lovely breads. The sourdough bread that she's got there. Oscar's the chef. Uh-huh. This big black chef that cooks in the kitchen. Every time I go in there, we do a little bit of an African number. <laughs> you know, we have a little thing going on. and But he's lovely, and he cooks with a rhythm, and you could just see the way he slices things and does things. It's it's beautiful, and it's busy. People like it. That's good. People That's, come. That sounds yeah. amazing. Right. The, the, the final thing I want to do, I, I, we were talking when I, I said that you were on. I was talking about kind of myths and rumours that there are about about you as a human being. All right, then. So we've got uh, one, two, three, four, five okay. that uh, you can either confirm or deny uh, and feel uh. free to elaborate. Okay, so the first one is um, that you used to be a stand-up comic. Yeah, absolutely, uh, that's true. And uh, I think I spoke about it earlier on, just performing on the cobbled streets of Covent Garden, yeah. which I absolutely loved with my friend Charles. And then later on... Um, after we did that, we started performing at uh, places like Jongleurs, the Comedy Store, just moved around. We, we even went up and did the Ed- Edinburgh Film Festival. And so when is uh, this? Is this, is this pre-telly? Is this is... Uh, pre-telly, very yeah. much pre-telly. Very, yeah. very much pre-telly. It was just getting together with your mate. When you get together with your mate and you have that feeling of, you know what, this is, uh, this is great. Yeah. You know, we wrote all our own, uh, our own songs. Um, I was Jamaican, he was Greek, and... Uh, uh, we used to have this little song. He used to say, "Where's my mango? Where, where's my moussaka? I like a liquor rum and me red zina. Bob Marley, Nana Mascuri, complications and a constant fury. Well, here we are again. No, oh, oh. we come to sing and we don't, don't. I really know why. Can't live so time again. No, oh, 
<laughs> it's our Greek time. <laughs> Love it. So that one's true. All right, that, that's a good one. Right, so uh, the next one is that you were a pro tennis player. No, never been a pro tennis player. Did a uh, ball boy down at Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, still play tennis today passionately, um, even though, you know, after my uh, hip operation on the left, which was well, 16 years ago, I haven't got that rotating backhand. So if anyone plays me, keep hitting it on me backhand and you'll probably get some cheap points. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the, this one, I'm, I'm sure this one isn't true, right? So th there's always been a thing around that I was told years ago that um, you um, had a range of sausages, yeah. right? Yeah. And that the pitch on the front was you holding a, a prick certain with a fork. Yes, and underneath it says prick with a fork. Is this true or false? No, completely false. I've never, oh. I've never, ever, ever had a range of sausages. I think you're talking about Paul Rankin sausages there. I think someone's just taken a package and made made my face up on it and stuff like that. But I have to say, it did make me laugh. Uh, I, 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 I pretty much knew it was false. I so wanted it to be true. In I some know, way. I know. Wouldn't it have been lovely because there's because it's me with a, a fork and there's a uh, you know pr I prick the sausage with a yeah. fork holding it and the classic Ainsley smile prick it's with a fork just thought, oh. who's ever done that and of course that's been out for a, a good while 10 years maybe maybe longer than yeah. that so you know now we take it for granted you can take snap anything and superimpose something onto something else but for me, that was uh, ah, unique. Fantastic. Yeah, well, in, in which case, I'd like to apologise to anybody who's watched any of my cookery demos over the last 20 years, because I've told that story as a fact. For the last... <laughs> <laughs> um, false fact. That's right, you owe me dinner now. That's All it. Right, next one is that you're a backgammon hustler. Yeah, I'm. well, I'm a backgammon, I wouldn't say hustler, but I really, really love it. I play most weeks with my mate who's painting my house at the moment actually the uh is doing a bit of a bit of bit of bit of work on there because it just needs to cut and maintain it and when he finishes we've got to have a game of backgammon but i've got to say we've been paint playing for the same hundred pounds ever since <laughs> we were kids so it's five a game five pound a game you know and it just goes back and forward it just it, nev it never goes anywhere but it means so much to us you know, if you lose 20 quid, you throw it on the floor at them. You know what I mean? Brilliant. It's one of those moments. Uh, but uh, if I had to do it professionally, I don't think I'd be that good at it. I watch, you know, occasionally it used to be on Eurosport and I used to watch some of those back... <sighs> Because they double the dice, you know, they double it. They're real gambling. I don't I'm play backgammon, so you may as well just be speaking some, kind of, some strange Martian language to and me right now. you take your marshmallows and you put... If you put a marshmallow on top, you can treble it. <laughs> and then take your Bunsen burner out, let it run down. And then, and then, the, then the final one, which I, th which I think I know is true, that you've had cameos in both Red Dwarf and Hail and Pace. Absolutely. And, uh, and it goes on even with... Uh, oh, what was his name? Bobby Davro. Right. I did some stuff with Bobby Davro too. Hale and Pace. Absolutely loved it. And what I will say to you and what I will say to the viewers and people listening out there is experience everything in life. Yeah. You mentioned the fact that I'm 63. I'm still experiencing new things. I don't know what is around the corner. But each of these things that you're mentioning, it's just made me the person that I am. You know, the idea, the excitement of being offered to get involved with Red Dwarf, you know, yeah. which was this classic sci-fi thing. Absolutely loved it. And the guys were so assured. We even did something called uh, 
can't smeg, won't smeg, which was <laughs> literally, it was with the Red Dwarf team. Anybody goes online, they can find that. Great fun. Yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Just working with professional people who, no, no surprise that, you know, 30, 40 years later, they've just brought it back on our screens or whatever, because it's classic. It's well written. It's got a rhythm to it. And they're, the guys are just so in tune with each other. And I, I feel that, you know, my life, I, I try to sort of keep in tune with myself and just try and keep things going. Try and, you know, whatever new opportunities come, whether it's working with people, with food, whatever, then, uh, yeah, I want, I want some of that. Well, I mean, you know, I, I can say I, I've, I've known you a long time and you are one of the most positive and infectious people. I mean, I should tell this story because, like, you and I, unbeknown to each other at the start, we were watching mm. both of our sons play against each other. Yeah, in football. football in, uh, in Chester. Yeah. And uh, my son got badly fouled by one of the dirty players from Kings at Chester. Yeah. And uh, had to go off injured. And I was a little bit, a little bit vocal. Anyway, then then at the end of the game, I'm conscious of this kind of big black guy walking across the pitch. And some of the other dads were going to say, he said, mate, you're in trouble seeing this guy. <laughs> this guy's looking angry walk, walking towards you. And he gets near me, his voice go, here, remember, you caused some bloody trouble again. And it's you. And, 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 it, and it's so very, very typical of yeah. you that, that wherever I see you, you bring a smile to my face always. You're always one of the oh, thanks, loveliest mate. people ever. Um, I don't know anybody has a bad I, And again, another instance is I remember my mum and dad come to see me do a demo in relatively early stages of my career mm. at the NEC, at the BBC Good Food. Okay, yeah. And I bought them sort of backstage. And my mum has always loved you. And you hugged my mum. And she still talks about the hug you gave her. Um, not in an inappropriate way. Oh, no, no. <laughs> the fact that you were just you were just so warm and lovely. And everything yeah. she ever thought you would be, you are. Because it, what people see on screen with you is what you are. Yeah. You know, mm. you, you're, you know, you're an incredibly lovely person. And, mate, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed you grilling me. So oh. I'm, I'm not just saying it. And I know it's funny. It's a little bit innuendo-ish. But it's been, it's been lovely. And I don't think we get an opportunity to look back enough now. You know, it's all about speed, speed, speed. Next, 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 next. So it's been great. Thank Brilliant. you very much. Oh, thank Cheers. you, mate. AJ Harriet, I mean, what a, what a fantastic guest. And also probably in the lead on the 45-minute Chef Challenge. <laughs> Jerk chicken. <laughs> Brilliant. Many thanks again to Ainsley for joining us on Grilling. He's always tremendous company and has such a way with words or innuendo. Uh, hopefully his enthusiasm for cooking and gorgeous sounding jerk chicken recipe have given you a few ideas as to what's possible on a Weber grill as winter takes hold. Head to Weber.com for plenty more ideas about what you can achieve yourself this autumn. Ainsley would almost certainly approve of their take on jerk spiced ribs. And if you head to weber.com forward slash grilling, not only will you find details of the competition, you'll also be able to get a free barbecue Bible cookbook with the purchase of selected accessories. Subscribe to Grilling on your favourite podcast app. Do tell your friends about us if you like what you hear. And do check out our previous episodes if you haven't already. We'll be back again next week with Marcus Waring, who is in incredibly fine form, I can tell you. Grilling was brought to you in association with Weber Barbecues and is an off-script production produced by Ben Backhouse and executive producer Zach Brown. I'm Simon Rimmer. Until next time, cheers for now. Listener.